what they have. I deserve what they have. Why is it that that comes to our minds? And I think the answer is we're all human. We all deal with envy. We all deal with jealousy. And as Christian said, this is, this is one of the uh, things that is a threat to our peace. Um, early in my life, I think I dealt a lot with envy and jealousy. I was a kid. I lived in this little house, and it was the smallest house on the block, of course. It's kind of interesting because we had this, it was basically a one-bedroom house, and there was seven of us that lived in it. And we had this glorified attic that all the kids slept in. That's where our bedroom was. But right across the street, literally across the street, was a mansion. Three-story brick mansion. And I'd been in that place. The guy had a billiard room on his top floor. A billiard room. I wanted a billiard room. Right? He had one of these dry, long driveways that you drive up and then you drive into your house. You know? Right? I wanted one of those. We had this little not-attached garages kind of that was kind of leaning sideways. You know? I wanted what he had. And I looked at all my neighbors, neighbors on either side of us. They had boats. I didn't have a boat. I wanted a boat. I needed a boat. I had to have a boat. I lived in Minnesota. I didn't have a boat. Can you believe that? What kind of injustice is that? And... So when I was a kid, I, I, at the age of nine, I got this paper route, and I would save my money from my paper route up. And at Christmas, I wanted to do a really nice thing for my mom. And so I saved up like $300. And I went and I bought her for Christmas. I bought her a microwave, right? And as I was thinking about that this week, I wanted to do something nice for my mom and get her a microwave, but you know what really was my motivating factor for getting that microwave for my mom? Everyone else in my neighborhood had microwaves, and we didn't. And I went, I don't want to be the kid that doesn't have a microwave in his house. Come on. And so this envy was in my heart. I mean, people had bigger houses. My neighbor had two phones. Two! Right? You remember those days when you only had one phone? Right? Does anyone remember those days? You only had one phone in your house. So if you had two, like you were paying through the nose to AT&T. Right? But they had two phones. We only had one phone. Oh, things would eat at my heart. And it's interesting because as I was uh, assigned this message, I thought, oh, great. I don't want to talk about this. This is probably one of my Achilles tendons, envy. It's one of the things that just... Ah, oh, it just kills me, and it comes at me, and it's a, one of the temptations in my life that I feel like I continue to fail at. When I'm, now that I'm an adult, when, somebody goes, when I'm broke and somebody goes on a nice vacation, I don't think, wow, great, I'm so glad you're going on a nice vacation. What do I think? I think, I'd like to be going on that vacation. I know I work harder than that guy, and he's going on a cruise, and I'm stuck here in Salt Lake City. I want to go on a vacation. I want that. I want what that, guy's, what that guy has. And I catch myself having these thoughts of, I deserve what that person has. Or, another thought, that person doesn't deserve that. Come on. And thoughts of jealousy and, envy, and an envious heart. And looking at what others have and wanting it, I'll, give, I'll tell you this, it has never brought a thought of peace into my heart. It's never brought peace into my heart, ever. It's only brought turmoil. And 
you know, I, yet I continue as an adult to be tempted with wanting what someone else has. Or worse yet, I don't want them to have what they have. How messed up is that? Right? Seriously, how messed up is that? So today, as we continue in this message series on peace, we're talking about inner peace today. And so I, I have a thought of a peaceful place, and maybe you guys have thoughts of peaceful places. My thought of a peaceful place is I'm sitting on this grassy hill, right? And just below me is this nice calm lake. And the sun is shining, but it's not hot. And I'm just loving it. I have no worries in the world, no responsibilities in the world. Now, when I think about that, I think, oh, I am in a peaceful place. But how often do I get to that place? Not very often. So here's the deal. So we find ourselves striving for something greater. Just like here in, in this movie clip, he's looking at his friend, he's like, oh, he's got all the great stuff and I don't have anything. And it's eating away at his heart. We try for the bigger, the better, the greater, the shinier, right? And then when we get what we have, what happens? We look up and somebody has a bigger one, a shinier one, a faster one, right? And we're like, oh, now mine looks kind of pathetic compared to what this guy has. And what about relationships, right? Men and women, they're always looking for Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. And so a guy, he finds, he finds Mrs. Right, right? Mrs. Right, she's beautiful, she's good looking, she's funny, she's fancy free, she's all these things, right? And he says, this is one, this is Mrs. Right. So he marries her, right? And then a few kids later, you know, a few pounds later, right? All of a sudden, all those things that he thought was cute at the beginning, they're starting to get a little annoying. And then she maxes out all his credit cards. And she has a closet full of shoes that he's tripping over, right? <laughs> Am I right? Right? And all of a sudden, there start, there's fights that start and all this stuff. And he's like, oh. And then he starts looking around at a neighbor or a coworker, And he says, oh, yeah. Wouldn't it be sweet to be with her? I mean, that's, you know, I'm done with this relationship. And it happens all the time right? Or she's looking for Mr. Right, right? She looks for Mr. Right. Guy who's strong, handsome, you know, maybe a little bit of a rebel in him, right? And, and she looks for him and he, she finds him and, and he's Mr. Right. And so she marries him. And then he puts on a couple pounds, right? And he starts being a slob around the house. He's drinking too much beer, hanging out with those friends she doesn't like. He starts nagging her about the credit card bills. He starts nagging her about how many shoes she has. And pretty soon she's like, this is not the guy I wanted. This is not Mr. Right. And so what does she do? She starts looking around. Hey, I know my coworker. He's, he's treating me really nice. You know, he respects me. He, lo- he, he treats me really nice. And all of a sudden, envy sets in to Mr. and Mrs. Right. And they start thinking, somebody else would be better. Somebody else would have what Mrs. Wright doesn't have or Mr. Wright doesn't have. Jealousy and envy just creep in to their hearts. And oftentimes it ends in total destruction. 
So why don't we have peace? This is the question I'm asking. Why don't we have peace? Why do we feel like we're entitled to something that someone else has? Why do we have these thoughts of envy? These thoughts of, I don't think he deserves it, I deserve it. Why does this happen? Well, I'm glad you asked the question. Thanks. Because <laughs> God's word has a lot to say about envy. And we've been looking at the book of James. And I call James, I have a, I have a little nickname for the book of James. I call it the kick butt book of the Bible. Because I'm telling you, when I'm in a place where I want to hide from God, the last book I want to read is the book of James. Because I know he's going to kick my butt every time I read it. It's five short little chapters, but it's full of incredible, empowering words from God. So whenever I'm feeling that way, and I know I have got to get back on track with God, I may just be like, I don't know, just not feeling like I'm really close to God, I pull out the book of James. I always go back there, and I'm like, okay, James, kick my butt, all right? I want to get back on track with God. And James doesn't hold anything back. He's a straight shooter. He tells it like it is. Before we dig into James, I just want to look at a few verses. We'll look up here on the screen. A few verses. You can write down these um, references if you want. Take a look at them. But Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30 says this. Here's some wisdom from God. It says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Isn't that a good visual picture, right? A heart at peace gives life. What did Jesus say he came to give? I come to give you what? Life. And life to the full. Some of you know that verse. I come to give you life and life to the full. What what is the name for Jesus? We call him the Prince of Peace. Right? And here, a thousand years before Jesus even came to earth and started teaching, Solomon writes, A heart at peace gives life to the body. And we have Christ in our heart. Man, it gives life to us. But when we have envy in our heart, it rots the bones. Let's look at Proverbs 23, 17. It says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Don't let your heart look at somebody who's, who's got that mansion, who's got that fast car. Don't let your heart look, look at them and say, Ah, that's what I want. No. Go after and desire God. This is what Solomon says. And then in, in the book of Job, chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Resentment kills a fool, and envy slays the simple. Basically, what God's word is warning us is that when envy's in our heart, it wants to destroy us and cut us down. When we have envy, it rots our heart. But it's interesting, because when you go back you go into the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13, verse 4. It's called the love chapter. You hear this uh, read at weddings all the time. But in verse 4, it says this. It says, love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not envy. So if there's love in my heart, there's not going to be envy in my heart. But when there's envy in my heart... It doesn't come from a place of love at all. So let's take a look in in James chapter 13, or chapter 3. There's no 13 chapters in James, only 5. James chapter 3, starting with verse 13. 
It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by the deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. So here's the deal. You want to have the wisdom of God? Show it by your good life. Show it by humility. That's what wisdom is. But listen to this. This is a warning. This is a butt kick from from James. Here it is. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's of the devil. Wow. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil kind of practice. Every evil practice. Wow. So how bad is envy? And why are we talking about it today? How bad is envy? Well, it's on the list. You know the list? The list of seven deadly sins. Envy is one of the deadly sins. It kills and destroys. In the New Testament, there's a lot of lists and in the writings of Paul, mostly. He writes these lists of sin. He says, these sins, man, they're going to keep you out of God's kingdom. They're going to keep you away from eternal life. They're going to keep you away from Christ, these sins. And he lists some pretty bad sins, like murder, adultery, uh, stealing, all these things. And you know what ends up in every single list, along with witchcraft and murder? Envy, jealousy. They end up in the same list of saying, these are the things that are going to keep you away from God and having a relationship with him. So if you're not familiar with the Bible, um, some of you may be, some of you may be not, but um, it's just a collection of stories about real people who lived in real places who had experiences with the real God. And let me just let you in on a little secret. Some people may call them saints, but in most of their lives, they messed things up. And when I started looking at, at the different people in the Bible that totally messed up things and they messed up God's will and they messed up everything for everyone around them. What was the core? What's, where did it start? It always started with envy. It always started with envy. So here's where it starts in the Bible. The first place we hear about envy in the Bible is when everything's perfect and everything's right. God is on his throne. He has all these angels and, and all around him that are serving him, right? And he has this one chief angel, and his name is Lucifer. And he's like the chief angel. Man, God has given him all this power and all this glory, right? But he's not satisfied. He's not satisfied with what he has. So what does he do? Envy enters his heart. He says, I want to be God. Who does this God think he is that he gets to be God? I want his throne. I want what he has. And he envies God. And he actually tries to overthrow heaven and become God. But because God is God and Lucifer wasn't, God cast him to earth. And, and we now know him as Satan or the devil. You know, there's a lot of people who don't believe in Satan or the devil. There's a lot of Christians who don't believe that, the, that Satan is a, is a real being. But he truly is. And if you read your Bible, you see how he works in the hearts of men over and over again. Because you remember, 
The first man and first woman, their names were what? Adam and Eve, right? Satan comes to Eve and he says, oh, you know what? God has all this knowledge. You know this tree he said you can't eat, the tree of knowledge of good and evil? He's like, you know what? God's just trying to keep you from something. He's trying to keep you from all this knowledge that he has. So eat of it. And so what enters Eve's heart? Envy. I want to know what God knows. He's keeping things from me. So she envies God's knowledge and she eats of the fruit. And she gives it to Adam and he eats of the fruit. And what happens? They're living in this paradise. They lose it. Paradise is gone. They're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And that just begins there. It doesn't stop there. Adam and Eve have two sons. Their names are Cain and Abel. If you remember their story, Cain and Abel go out to offer sacrifice to God. And God accepts Abel's sacrifice. And he doesn't accept Cain's. And we know why he doesn't accept Cain's. Because Cain's heart is all just messed up. And he doesn't come with the right attitude. And so what happens in that situation? Cain is envious of his brother. He's envious of the favor that his brother has with God. He says, I want the favor he has. He gets angry. He's filled with, with jealous rage. And he goes after his brother. He ends up striking his brother. ends up killing his own brother. He buries him in the ground. And he loses everything. He loses his relationship with his parents. He's banished. He's marked for life as a murderer. Fast forward a little bit. Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. These, these two twin brothers. Esau's born first and Jacob is born second. And so Esau has the birthright. He has the inheritance. He has the right to everything his father owns. And so Jacob looks at Esau and he's just jealous of him. And he wants what Esau has. So he tricks his brother out of the birthright. He tricks his father into giving him the inheritance. He lies to his father. He lies to his brother. And what happens? He's a fugitive for 14 years. He runs away thinking that his brother's going to kill him. Envy totally messes up everything. And here's the thing. So Jacob has 12 sons, right? Later on, Jacob has these 12 sons. And he picks one as his favorite. His name is Joseph. Oh yeah, Joseph's his favorite. He makes him this beautiful coat. And everybody knows. The other 11 brothers, they know that Joseph's dad's favorite. So what enters their heart? Jealousy and envy. And they look at him with envy. And when they have the opportunity, they take their brother, they beat him up, they throw him in a pit. They take his robe and they rip it apart. They pour a goat's blood all over it. They sell their brother into slavery. He goes to Egypt in slavery, ends up in prison. They take the coat back to their father and say, we we found this coat. Joseph must have obviously been killed by a lion or a bear or something. You know, they break their father's heart. Their father's heart is just dead. Why? Oh yeah, they got what they wanted. They got rid of that pesky little brother they had. Because their hearts are filled with envy. Now fast forward later into Israel's history. God was their king. And they worshipped God and and he was their king. And God gave them judges to rule over the nations. over, Over the nation of Israel, right? So here's what happens. They start looking around. At all the other nations around them on their border. And they're like, those guys have kings, mighty kings to rule over them. Boy, wish we had a king. So they go and they ask the prophet Samuel and they ask God. They say, we want a king 
like these other nations. And it broke God's heart. He's like, I'm your king. And they're like, no, no, we want a good king. So they choose a king. His name is Saul. And Saul, they pick him because he's a head taller of everyone else. He's been a good soldier. He's good looking. And they're like, this is the guy we want to represent us. Saul, the king. But here's the deal. Saul's heart was bad. I just want to share this little story. Some of you know this story. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17 if you want to go back and read it. But you got this picture here. You got Saul, right? And he's over here with his armies, the armies of Israel. And over here on the other side of the valley are the Philistines. These just nasty guys, right? And the Philistines have this, have this giant of a man. He's named Goliath. He's just the biggest warrior anyone's ever seen. And every morning, Goliath comes out and he taunts the Israelites. He says, hey, you, let's not have a battle. Let's not fight. You just send over your best warrior and he'll fight me. And if, you win, if he wins, well, we'll be your slaves. But if I win, you become our slaves. And he would come out every morning. And he would curse God. And he would curse Israel. He would say, you don't have what it takes. And you know what happened with Israel and Saul? They ran. <laughs> Every time Goliath would come out, they would run the opposite direction. And part of, part of Saul's army over here were seven brothers of Jesse. This man named Jesse, whose seven, whose seven sons would, would come out here and they would fight in battle. And they had one other brother. He was the youngest. He was the smallest his name was David. They left him back home to tend to the sheep while they were going to fight the good fight, right? And so Jesse sent, says to his David, he says, all right, take some provisions out to the army so your brothers can eat. You know, here's some cheese, here's some, here's some flour, here's some um, things for them. And he packs it up and David hauls it out to the battlefield and he brings it to his brother and he brings a, a portion of it to Saul as provision to the army. And as David's standing there, David, this, this little shepherd boy who hangs out on the fields watching his sheep, singing songs to God, loves God, all these things. And he's, he's standing there. All of a sudden, here comes Goliath out with this big taunt. And he starts cursing God and he curses Israel. And he says, come on, fight me. And David's standing there going, what in the world? What is he doing? He turns around and everyone's gone. <laughs> They're running for the hills. He's like, what? what? Uh, you can't let this happen. So he goes back in and he starts talking to some of the soldiers. He's like, what would be done? He goes, what would be done for a person? What kind of reward would you get if you slayed that guy? And they said, oh, Saul has said, you'll get his, hand, his daughter's hand in marriage. You'll get to marry the king's daughter. If, if, if anyone would take this guy on, but nobody's going to take this guy on. I mean, he's huge. And David says, I'm going to do it. His brother catches wind of it. One of his brothers catches wind of it, and he goes, what do you think, what do you, think you are? You little runt. Why don't you go back home and, and be with the sheep? You're nothing. And he just ignores his brother, and he goes straight into Saul. He goes straight into the king's... Uh, tent and he walks into Saul's tent and he says, he says, Saul, he says, I want that guy. He's cursing God. He's cursing our nation. He's cursing our family. And I'm not going to put up with that. 
Saul just laughs. Come on. You're just a little boy. You can't, you can't fight this guy. He's been, he's been trained since he was a child to be a mighty warrior. And David says, oh, come on. A lion grabbed my sheep one day, and I went after that lion. I killed that lion with my bare hands. He goes, you know what? And a bear came and attacked my sheep, and I killed that bear with my bare hands. He goes, and you know that guy, that Philistine? I'll do the same to him. Saul goes, okay. But we got to prepare you. Let's put my armor on. So you imagine, David's probably about this tall, and Saul's probably about this tall. And so Saul puts his armor on David, right? And he's all worn, you know, he's all, you know, all weighted down. He can barely walk, you know. He's like, I can't do this. So David pulls it off. He goes down, he takes his little shepherd's sling, a little sling that you can go like this and throw a rock and, and kill a bear or whatever, or a wolf or whatever, but... He goes down and takes those five rocks. And next time Goliath comes out, he comes out the next, very next day and he starts cursing Israel. He starts cursing God. And David, it says this, David ran towards him. Wow. Can you imagine? This guy's like, he's taller than Shaquille O'Neal, okay? And David's this little teenage, little squat, this little kid, right? And he runs right up to him. And Goliath goes, Come on! What am I, a dog? You send a boy with sticks to fight me? And David said, Oh, you might come with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come in the name of the Lord God Almighty. And today, you're going down. And Goliath's like, Well, whatever. And Goliath just is like, I'm going to feed your, I'm going to rip you apart and feed your flesh to the birds. And David says, Oh, yeah? Puts that little stone in his sling, and he goes like that. And Goliath's like, what in the world? What's going on here? You know, he's got no armor on, no protection, no sword, no spear. Rock hits Goliath straight in the forehead. Bam! Falls flat on his face. And David runs towards him. He pulls out Goliath's sword, which is probably just huge. And he pulls it out, and he kills Goliath. And he cuts off his head, and he just holds it up. He goes, yeah! This one's for God, right? Awesome. And all the Israelite soldiers are standing over here, right? And they're going, let's get them, right? And all of a sudden, they're filled with courage, right? And they go and they, ah! the Philistines look at Goliath and they see his head there and they're like, we're out of here. And they take off the other direction, right? And Israel comes and they have this big battle and they win and they defeat the Philistines, and David's his hero. But here's what happens next. I think this is probably one of the saddest parts of the Bible for me when I read it. In the next chapter. So Saul, he's like, hey, you know, I'm king. We defeated the Philistines. <laughs> right? This coward that sat in this tent, he's now going like this. So he takes this victory, victory tour. He gets on his biggest horse, right? He's riding. He's going through the towns of Israel. He's like, yeah. We've defeated the Philistines. Give me, some, give me some props here, right? That's what he's doing. So he goes around, and all the women come out of the towns, and they sing, start singing this song, right? It's in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel. They start singing this song. Saul has killed his thousands. And he's like, yeah, baby, I have. Uh-huh. You know I'm good. 
right? And then they sing the next verse. And David has killed his ten thousands. What? That little runt? I've been king for all this time. I defeated the Philistines. Him? Him? No. Not him. And it says that the song just galled him. Right? And during this time that David had been there, he'd been actually going to Saul and singing songs of praise to Saul, and it would it'd calm Saul's heart. Saul gets back from hearing that song. He goes back into his tent, and he's like, oh. His heart was filled with envy. He says, hey, have David come in and sing some songs for me. So David comes in, he brings his harp, starts singing songs, and, Paul, and, and Saul, he just grabs his javelin, right? <laughs> Throws it right at David. <laughs> Misses him. David runs out, right? So here's, here's David who is supposed to have Mary, the king's daughter, and now Saul's filled with so much jealousy. And here's what it says. I just got to read this. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 18. It says, Saul was filled with anger. He was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with 10,000s, and they've only credited me with thousands. And in verse 9, it says this, From that day on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. It was in his heart, and it was coming out of his eye, and he was looking at him. Right? And here's the scary part. Like when I read this last night, like chills went up my spine. The scary part is the next verse, it says, The very next day, an evil spirit came forcibly upon Saul. Whoa. An evil spirit came upon him forcefully. And for the rest of Saul's life, he chased after David and tried to kill him and tried to trick him. Look down the next, next portion. He goes, I'm going to promote that guy to general, man. I'm going to put him out on the front lines of the battlefield because then the Philistines will kill him. And I'll be done with this guy. And he tried all kinds of plots and plans to kill David. And think about this. Saul had the throne. He had the crown. He had the king. He had the kingdom. He had everything that he ever would want. And he's jealous of a shepherd boy. He's jealous of somebody who's a nobody. When he should have been celebrating David and saying, look, God has brought us this great warrior. God has brought us somebody who's actually brought peace to our kingdom. He's brought somebody who's actually uh, chased away the enemies. Here's somebody who is great. And instead, he just looked at him with this jealous eye, this eye of envy. Here's the deal. It's not just Bible characters that got filled with envy and, and, and got their lives off track. It's every single one of us will be tempted with this. Because Satan knows that if he can get you to give in to envy, he's got you. He can totally derail your life. Does everyone remember the Ten Commandments, right? Moses, Charlton Heston going up to the mountain, right? Uh, We've all seen that movie. And uh, does anyone remember what the Tenth Commandment is? Shout it out. You shall not covet, right? Right? Did you say that? Very good. Nice. You shall not covet. Now here's the interesting thing. So let's look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. It says, 
you shall not covet. That means to envy or have, be jealous of or want. Okay? Here's what it means. That's what covetous means. So you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Or his manservant or maidservant or his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You shall not do it. Here's the interesting thing about commandment number 10. Is that commandment number 10 is the only commandment that if you break it, there's no evidence. Because it's all here. It's all here. Envy and covetousness. You can be looking at your neighbor's wife all day long. I want her. And nobody will ever know. It could go on for months. It could go on for years. You could want that neighbor's boat. Right? You want it. You need it. You want that neighbor's house. It's bigger. It's better. And God says, don't do it. Don't, not anything. He lists off all these things. Now, most of your friends probably don't have oxes or donkeys, but they do have cars. Right? And they probably don't have men servants or maid servants, but they might have employees or they might have a business that's thriving. And yours isn't. He says, don't covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Envy, you may never see it, but it does all kinds of bad things. Remember, envy, covetousness, jealousy is wisdom that's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's of the devil. Now, it's hard for me to think that when I have envy in my heart, that comes straight from the devil. It's hard for me to think that 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 would be in my heart, but sometimes it is. And he says, wherever you have envy and selfish ambition, there you have, find every kind of disorder and every evil practice. So I bought a little prop today. Now, oh. Now I didn't get a real grenade, but this is a water balloon grenade. Okay? But it's here to just illustrate the point. Envy is, is kind of like a grenade. Now, if a grenade's just sitting there on the table, will it do anything? No? It just sits there, right? But a grenade, it's, it's packed with all kinds of explosive. It's like a little mini bomb, right? And you've all seen the war stories, or maybe you've used a grenade in, in being part of the military. You pull that pin out, you throw that grenade, what happens when that grenade lands? It blows up everything around it, right? Everything. Every person, it, just, it rips legs off and arms off. It kills people. It blows a wall down. It's a pretty powerful thing, a grenade. And envy is just like a hand grenade. When it's in our heart, when envy's in our heart, it has all the power in there to destroy everything around it. And always, here's the deal, always when envy gets out of our heart, when we act upon it, even if it's been in there for years, we act upon it and we throw it out. And guess what? Wherever it lands, lives are destroyed. People are destroyed. Relationships are destroyed. Because here's the deal. The devil knows this. He knows that what is written in James chapter 3 is true. He knows that if you have bitter envy, selfish ambition in your heart, he knows that if you have it in your heart, it will unleash every kind of evil. It will destroy everything around you. He knows it, and he wants your destruction. But God wants 
you to have life, right? We started off with that, right? Peace in your heart with life. So what can be done? What can stop this evil force of envy in our hearts, in our lives? I'm glad you asked, right? How do we stop envy from derailing our, our lives? If you go back to James chapter 3, this is the great news, man. We've been talking about the bad news. Here's the great news. The great news is this. There is a cure for envy. There is a, there is a way for us to not have this, have power over our lives. And it's in James chapter 3, verse 17. Remember we talked about this other wisdom that's earthly? He says, but wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then it's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy and good fruit. It is impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. That is a great promise. That is a list. That's a great remedy. That is a list that if you're struggling... With envy of any type, I'm just telling you, the devil knows that's it's, it's Achilles' hill for many of us. Memorize this and tell him that next time he tempts you with the thought of envy. Memorize it. Say it to him. So here's where peace comes from. And just leave this up on the screen. It's God's wisdom. It's the remedy for envy. So I'm going to tell you a list. If you've got a pen and you've got your program, I'm going to give you a list and it's going to come right from this, but I'm going to give you a list of eight things that will totally diffuse envy. It'll totally diffuse this little bomb of envy. Right? You ready? Here you go. comes right from the scripture, but I just embellished it a little bit. Here you go. Number one, think a pure thought. Okay? They're up on the screen too, so you'll know. Think a pure thought. Man, when you're thinking an envious thought, stop that. Just, ah, no, I'm not going to think that. Think a pure thought. Think, oh man, I'm, I'm so happy for my friend who got that. Number two, think of peaceful thought. Think of thought that would, that would bring peace, right? Number three, it says to be considerate, that peace, the wisdom of God is considerate. Be considerate of the person you're envious of. Think about that. Think about if you had something really nice happen to you and you told your buddy and they were all like, ugh, you don't deserve that. It's not really considerate, Right? Think a considerate, considerate thought about your friend who got that promotion or who got that thing that you wanted. Number four, be submissive to God's thoughts. That's why I said, verse 17 and 18, memorize it. Tape it to your bathroom wall. Tape it to your bathroom mirror. Just tape it there. And every time, every morning when you're getting ready, look at that list. Look at that verse. Be submissive to God's thoughts. That's why it's so important to be in God's word every day. Number five, show mercy to someone. Isn't that cool? He says that wisdom that comes from God is full of mercy. Because think about it. You might be looking at the person who has the bigger and the better and and be envious of them, but there's somebody who's below you (laughs) that's looking at you and going, yeah, you might be envious of their car because it's shinier. I don't even have a car. I lost my job. I don't have a car. I don't even have a way to get around to job interviews. There's people that are less fortunate than you. Any of us in this room, they're less fortunate of you. And he says, if you want peace in your life, 
Start showing mercy and compassion to those who have less than you have. Do something good. Number six, do something good. James says, how do you prove that you have God's wisdom? Remember back at the beginning? How do you prove you got wisdom? By doing good deeds. By being good to others. By your humility of your heart. Number seven, don't take sides. Oh, how often do we take sides, right? Yeah, he doesn't deserve that. You're right, he does not, right? <laughs> You're absolutely right. I can't believe it, right? Okay, don't take sides. It says, it says be impartial, right? And then number eight is be sincere and not fake. Be happy. Be sincerely happy for others for what they have. And as the Bible teaches, be content with what God has given you because he has given you it. And whenever we're envious, we're basically saying to God, what you've given me stinks. What you've blessed me with stinks. So here's the, here's the cool thing that I love about this last verse. If we could go back to verse 17 and 18 here. If you think about it, what does a farmer throw out into his fields? Right? What does he throw out? Seed. He goes out in the field, he throws out seed. We have like big machinery right now that does it. But, but a farmer in the old days, then they throw out seed into their fields, right? Have you ever heard about somebody who got injured by a seed? Have you? No. Right? And I think about a farm is about as a peaceful place as you could possibly be. Out in a field of grain going, you know, how peaceful is that? Right? And I think about this. And, and James brings in this illustration. He says, he says this, peacemakers who sow in peace, they pull out their bag of, of, of seeds and it's seeds that are filled with peace. And it comes from their heart, Right? This bag of seeds comes from their heart and says, peacemakers who throw in peace, peace, they're throwing this out. And what do you get in return from a heart filled with peace? Applying these things. What do you get? A harvest of righteousness. What is righteousness? That's kind of a big Bible word, right? It means everything is right. God is righteous. Everything about him is right. It is good. It is pure. It is holy. You want that in your life? You want... Do you want to have harvest after harvest of good things and peaceful things happen in your heart, and your life? He says, sow peace. Be the farmer who sows peace because peacemakers who sow in peace have a harvest of righteousness. So the question is today, what are you throwing out? Are you throwing out envy grenades? Right? <laughs> Causing destruction, unleashing all kinds of evil? Or are you throwing out seeds of peace? that are raising up harvests of righteousness. So I want to do a test with you today, all right? Ready for this? I do this a lot with with kids, but it's kind of good to use our imaginations. We as adults don't use our imaginations as much as kids do. But so I want you to close your eyes, right? All right, everybody close your eyes. And I described a place of perfect peace for me earlier in the message. But go to your place of perfect peace, okay? Where is it? Is it on on the beach Sipping one of those fruity drinks with an umbrella? Is it, is it out in the woods in your cabin? And you're just sitting there in that cabin just, ah, with a crackling fire. Where is it? Go to your place, right? Okay? Are you there? Keep your eyes closed, okay? Imagine this place, 
place of perfect peace. Imagine you have no worries and everything is good. Now keep that picture in your mind. Doesn't that feel nice? Doesn't it feel good? Now imagine if your heart could experience that kind of peace all the time. It feels great. It feels good. Now you can open your eyes. Welcome back to reality. Okay? Reality is that that temptation of envy is going to come into our heart and into our lives. And we're going to be tempted with it time and time again. It's never going to stop. But imagine if we could experience what we just experienced in our imagination in our heart all the time. What if we could experience God's peace? How do we do it? Memorize it. Let it rule your heart. Let it rule your mind. Instead of thoughts of envy, let it rule your heart and mind. Okay, we're going to close our eyes again. I just want to pray for you guys today. So let's just do that. Heavenly Father, I don't know what everyone struggles with out here. I have no idea. But if they're anything like me, envy comes into our lives. I don't know, on my life on a daily basis. And I either have to suck it into my life and I become bitter and, and jealous or, or I need to get rid of that thought and I need to replace it with thoughts of you, God. So I pray for everyone in here, wherever they're at, with envy or jealousy or with peace. I pray that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ will be in this place today. And He will be the Prince of Peace. He will rule our hearts and our lives. He will be the center of our lives. We thank you for this and praise you in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. You know what envy ultimately is? It's me at the center of my heart. That's what it is. That's what envy is. It says me. It's all about me. And God's word says, put Christ at the center of your life. Put the Prince of Peace on the throne of your heart. Do that and you will have peace.